Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us again. We've been spending basically the last several broadcasts dealing with the question of justification raised by the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago. I've recently written a book entitled Grace and Justification, subtitled An Evangelical's Guide to Catholic Beliefs, and in there try to explain to Catholics what Catholics believe, as well as explain what Protestants believe and try to do so in such a way that each other can communicate and we are going to use that same technique, try to understand both sides of a critical question. Last episode, we asked that question, are you saved? Which so often Catholics hear from their friends and family members who are particularly from an evangelical background. Well, today I'd like to uh, tackle another question. Can you lose your salvation? This is another biggie. This is one of those questions that um, actually are asked by Protestants and Catholics, and it's kind of a nagging question within Protestantism. I'll describe that when we get to Protestant beliefs, but let's start with what Catholics believe first. And to do so, I have to kind of steer our conversation to what exactly do we mean by loss? Can you lose your salvation like you lose your car keys, your cell phone, or your television remote? No, you can't lose your salvation by an inadvertent act, okay? That's not Catholic beliefs. Sometimes people think that, but that's not the case. But on the other hand, what about a willful and serious sin? Uh, Catholics call this technically a mortal sin, which is in essence leaving fellowship with God the Father, just like that done by the prodigal son. Well, the answer in a way should be obvious from the way I've described it. Remember, to understand any of these key doctrines relating to salvation. If you want to get to the core of the Catholic beliefs, you want to keep the idea of God being our Father, the Church being the family of God, and forgiveness being restoration to the family of God. And so did God allow, uh, well, God pictured, I should say, in the Father through the parable of the prodigal son, did the Father allow the Son to depart? Yes, he did. That's what mortal sin is. It's not an inadvertent act, but it's a seriously willful act to leave fellowship with God the Father. So we want to keep that doctrine of adoption, and that means that full realization deep in our hearts and minds that we're children of God. In fact, Scott Hahn has mentioned that justification and adoption are like two aspects of a single concept. We would say two sides of a single coin. So if you want to understand the Catholic doctrines of justification or salvation, you really have to understand adoption. And in reflection this morning, I thought I'd better illustrate this. Uh, exhibit A, my teen years and my dad. Um, 
I want to tell you about my first wreck. And you think, oh, boy. Well, you know, all 16-year-olds have a wreck. No, I started having wrecks before I was 16, actually. Um, a telephone pole had gotten in my way when I was racing my brother trying to go around a corner too fast. And I can remember that night um, <laughs> waiting to tell my dad in the morning, he didn't see the car when he came home at night, that I had smashed in a phone pole. I was thinking, wow, I would be pretty angry if, if I was the dad. And, you know, I would I would just say, get lost. Uh, I would kick myself out of the house. I mean, I guess that's how you uh, disinherit someone under 16 years old. Well, fast forward a little bit till I did become 16. Two weeks after I got my license, uh, I lost it. I was at the Daytona 400 and the car that uh, my parents' car I was driving had won the race. So I decided to race back from Daytona to Orlando without uh, taking my foot off the speedometer. And uh, I got a ticket for going 100 miles an hour. I was actually going faster than that. But the state trooper was nice and um, he just put down 100. And I can remember before we went into the courtroom, to make matters worse, my dad knew the judge personally as a friend. And uh, my dad quietly said to me, well, uh, how fast were you going? How, you know, and I said, 100. He said, what? I said, 100. It was just like, ay, 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 ay. You know, I, I certainly deserved, at least in my perspective, to be kicked out of the house, you know, disinherited or whatever. And my dad, in no uncertain terms, let me know that he was displeased in what I had done. But you know what? He never kept bringing up my shortcomings about my lead foot. You know, he dealt with it, but it was over, and I was still a part of the family. And he even went a step further, and I didn't even really fully appreciate it at the time. But rather than kicking me out of the house, um, my twin desires in high school were to be a race car driver and race boats. Those are my twin desires in life. And surprisingly, he encouraged me to do both. He wasn't against my desires to do these things. He just wanted me to do them in a legal manner. Now, my unsettled teen years, don't you like these euphemisms? It's really my sinful teen years. My relationship with my dad and my teen years, to me, are a sketch of Catholic forgiveness because God is not a judge Okay, he's not a jailer, he's a father, and we are his children, we are his sons and his daughters. And he, even after we willfully reject him, and somebody listening to me today, you may have not been to Mass in years, you may have done all kinds of things you're ashamed of, you regret, you realize that, that uh, you have strayed far from God's path. We're not talking about a mortal sin, maybe a string of that, but remember that God the Father is pictured in that parable of the prodigal son. That, that's the essence of what this whole business of can I lose my salvation? Yeah, you can. You can willfully walk away. But if you're in that situation, you can come back. You can be restored just like the prodigal son can be restored. When he came to his senses, he says, you know, it was a lot better when I lived my life in relationship with my heavenly father or my earthly father. And it says in that parable of the prodigal son that the father saw his son coming from a long way off 
and he ran out to meet him. That is called the sacrament of confession if you happen to be a Catholic. This is where you come back and have a restored fellowship with God the Father. So just real quick in a nutshell, uh, from a Catholic viewpoint, through an inadvertent act, can you lose your salvation? No, of course not. From a Catholic viewpoint, through a willful, serious, mortal sin or sins, can you lose your salvation? Yes. Can you be restored? Absolutely. Okay, that's the Catholic faith. Now, let's talk about Protestantism. And just in case you're a new listener, uh, I have been an evangelical for 20 years in my past, including an evangelical pastor. And I'm very aware that this can be a nagging question in the hearts and minds of what I would call honest evangelicals. And it's this, even if you're a pastor, you have these theology books that will tell you, oh, Catholicism is so horrible. You can lose your salvation. They don't quite get to the point in those theology books because I've read several of them that, you know, God's a father and he can mercifully restore you in fellowship and sonship and kind of deal with this reality that, yes, there's a good shepherd. He cares for us. Nobody's going to pull us out of his hand except our sinful will. Will God allow us to go if we insist on it, if we willfully demand it? Yes, that's what love is. But in Protestantism, they just simply say no. Generally, that's the answer. You can't lose your salvation. And yet every Protestant that I know uh, has encountered people who have really strayed from the Father's household and from the Father's will. How do you explain that? Well, there's one group, and, and by the way, there's no one Protestant answer to this, but there's one group that would say it's utterly impossible to lose your salvation. They have the little phrase, once saved, always saved, and they might kind of add an understanding to that, no matter what, no matter what you do. Once saved, always saved. Uh, there's another group that believes that it's only lost through unbelief. Since you're justified or saved by faith alone, then if you lose faith, you can lose your justification, but that's the only thing you can do to affect your relationship with God. Serious sin, repeated, willfully leaving the path that you know God has for you, that, that doesn't do it. Now, there's a third group of Protestants, and again, I'm not even covering them all. I'm just trying to outline the various ways it's tried to comprehend what, what do you do with people who have claimed to be Christians and then stray when you say, well, you can't lose your salvation. Well, the third group believe that those who turn to a life of sin were never really saved to begin with because uh, in their thinking, you can't lose something that you never really had, so you never really were saved. And then if you start doing that, then people who think they were assured of salvation, now they're unassured. How do you deal with all this? So this creates a dilemma. When a Protestant tries to honestly answer the question, can you lose your salvation? Because Protestant theology says, no, Justification or the salvation is a once-for-all momentary act. 
and it's by faith alone, and it's over, it's done with for the rest of your life. Then, that's what you read in the theology books, and so you'll hear a pastor or a Bible teacher assert that, or you've come to believe that yourself through reading theology books. Then at the same time, many Protestants are great Bible readers, and when they read the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, they know, they really know, that God expects obedience and loyalty to his revealed commands. God isn't a joke. He's not a senile Santa Claus in heaven. He, he's the real deal, and he expects to have his children obey him. That's, that's the idea. Now, Protestants know deep down that uh, no one will snatch them from God's hand. In other words, there's nothing that come between you and God's love for you except you, <laughs> your willful acts. And yet they hear, nope, you can't lose your salvation, justifications once for all, you can't lose it, can't lose it. But then they come across passages scattered all through the New Testament. Let's start with um, the second epistle to Peter, chapter 2, starting in verse 20, just two verses. And he's talking about Christians here. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, you're saved if you've come to know the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and they are then again entangled in them and overpowered. The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Ouch. Evidently, St. Peter didn't believe in once saved, always saved. He believed in once saved, and if you stray, you're worse off than if you were ever saved. This is an astonishing truth. And again, that's 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. How about the book of Hebrews? If you want to kind of picture the epistle to the Hebrews, imagine a coach for an endurance track team. The idea of Hebrews is to go the distance and not drop out of the race. And here in Hebrews chapter 3, we find three verses to encourage us and to warn us about enduring to the end. Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Notice this is part of the text. Take care, brethren, brethren, Christian brethren, lest there be in you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Obviously, it's a potential because here it's being warned against and not for those guys out there. He's talking about Christians. Then he goes on, but exhort one another every day as long it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, you go on, uh, one sin, and you've heard this, breeds a second, the second brings on a third, and before you know it, you have a hard heart, 
that can lead you to fall away from the living God. Verse 14 of Hebrews 3, For we share in Christ if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. You see, 2 Peter 2, Hebrews 3, and again, faithful Bible readers come across these verses and know that there's something more to being saved or to be justified than a momentary act. It's more like a walk through your life. It's an, it's an endurance contest. And it's not the endurance doesn't come from you. It comes from the Holy Spirit that God gives to his children to be able to finish the race. And particularly, a faithful reception of the sacraments enables you to go the distance, firm to the end. So in the Catholic view of it, yes, you can fall away, but there's a way of restoration if you do And to keep you from falling away, God has gracious means in order to keep you going. It's called grace, and particularly sacramental grace. Here's another passage in 1 Corinthians. And it's interesting because Corinthians is an epistle written to a church that was living in sin city of the Roman Empire. I've compared Corinth to... uh, San Francisco all year long combined with uh, New Orleans during Mardi Gras. This is Corinth. It was also a sailor's town. Anybody who's been to the Navy in a foreign port knows what I'm talking about. Okay. There was a great temptation to compromise, to think that it might be okay to just, you know, go along with everybody's doing in town in Corinth and also expect to go to heaven. And St. Paul writing to these folks, writing to the Christians. Again, he's not writing to the other guys. He's writing to the church. He says this, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. I want you to know, brethren, again, he's writing to Christians, that our fathers, talking about the Jews, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's talking about the exodus through the Red Sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, they weren't baptized in a sense of Christian baptism, but going through the Red Sea was a prefiguring of what baptism is for us today. Yes, it's a means for our salvation. So they had the prefiguring of our baptism. And verse 3, it says, they all ate the same supernatural food, the manna. What was the manna? Just like going through the Red Sea, prefigured baptism, manna prefigured the blessings of the Eucharist. And so, in other words, uh, everybody went through the Red Sea. Everybody had manna. Everybody had the prefigurings of the Christian sacraments. Nevertheless, it says in verse 5, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. In other words, they never made it to the promised land. What's the promised land? The promised land is the prefiguring of our eternal life, our eternal destiny with God in new heavens and new earth. They didn't make it. The majority did not make it. And now St. Paul is writing to Catholics in the town of Corinth, 
the cultural situation was degenerate like ours today. The temptation was to think, well, you know, we'll make it. We don't have to really worry as long as we're once saved, always saved, once justified, always justified. No. He says in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 10, hear this very carefully. He says, now these things are warnings for us. In other words, what happened in the Old Testament are supposed to be lessons for us. We must not indulge in immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. When's the last time you heard a homily or a sermon of the 23,000 that died in a single day because of sexual immorality? If we were hearing some of these things, this is apostolic preaching, warning against taking for granted your Christian faith. He says further, we must not put the Lord to the test as some of them did and were destroyed. And now here's the zinger, verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as a warning, but they were written down for our instruction. In other words, all that has happened, we're supposed to hear, you know, and honestly, when's the last time you heard something like this in a, in a chastity talk? That God's serious about these things. It's, chastity talks are not just talking about theology of the body, which is a good thing to talk about, but St. Paul says these things happened as warnings for us, and they're written down in Scripture for our instruction. It's supposed to be part of our instruction for those living in a cultural situation like Corinth. St. Paul concludes, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. I'll paraphrase that. Therefore, lest anyone who thinks once saved, always saved, take heed, lest he fall. This is very serious business. This is utterly serious business. But I would repeat, according to Catholicism, how you live a holy life isn't a self-effort. It's not that little train that could with its own self-generated steam trying to go up the big hill. I know I can. I know I can't. No, it's not about I can do anything. It's about God who can do all things in us and through us. That's the miracle of Christianity. It's not I do it. And so many Catholics fall down on their face because they think salvation, both the beginning and Running the race to the end is something that I just try to do by being a good person. And you know what? St. Paul is very clear. In doing that, it is so counterproductive, you'll end up falling absolutely flat on your face. Because Catholics, as children of God, we are called to trust in the work of God the Father, not only making us legally not guilty through salvation, but internally changing us, empowering us, giving his grace, which isn't a cosmic jolt. Uh, Grace is the very life of God that comes into us. That's why he gives us himself in the Eucharist so we can have strength by his grace to live his life. That's the key. The key to the Christian life is Jesus Christ. The key to the Christian life is not me. 
And so Catholics will fall down if they don't follow the Catholic faith, which means we are saved or justified by grace, and we continue to live that life of grace through the sacraments that Jesus gives us, okay? Now, to Protestants, watch out. Martin Luther had a very difficult time internally finding that acceptance with God internally. He could get the external part, the legal part, the God, the the judge part, but God as a father part, he did not get. And not denying adoption, and Protestantism doesn't deny adoption, but it kind of makes it a second step, a link in a chain, but not the first link. It's not organically tied to justification salvation. It's not the other side of a, of a two-sided coin. No, it's something subsequent and separate. And as a result, you, you approach justification from a very abstract thing and, well, no, I, I just can't lose it because it's by faith alone. No, it's not by faith alone. It's by faith, your first moment of justification, nothing else. You come, trust in the mercy and the power of God. But after that, that faith is supposed to be alive and active because the living God is now living in you and you are supposed to have that faith which works through love. And you can't just cut that second part off. You can't have a dead faith and expect eternal life with the living God. So I'd like to caution my once saved, always saved friends, and, and, and I call you friends. I was one myself, so I'm not trying to Uh, put anybody down. I'm trying to share the richness of truth, which we all need. But St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, again, this is a city that was just rampant with immorality. St. Paul says in chapter 6, verse 9, do you not know, he's talking to Christians, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. This is St. Paul talking. Don't be deceived neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sexual perverts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Ah, but such were some of you, were. To be God's child is to be changed inside and out. And so St. Paul says, but you were washed. That's baptism. You were sanctified. That's sanctifying grace. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 181 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.